What's well, great to see you. Glad you're here today. Today we're kicking off a new series, The Light Has Come. And this is all about Christmas. And, and the light has come. That's actually good news for us. And, and it's good news actually because there's bad news. But we don't want to start with that because we're celebrating Christmas, right? Are, are you celebrating Christmas? Are you getting ready? Okay, yeah, all right. Yeah, who's way behind? Yeah, don't, don't admit it to everybody, but... Yeah, it's coming. So I want to start off with something good. So picture this. Picture a perfect world. A perfect world. How would that play out? Kind of hard to imagine. So let, let me help you. It'd be like if Ohio State and the team up north both won their next game. And then they were playing for their national championship and their fans and Ohio State fans were all sitting in a room and they were just sitting there peacefully enjoying one another's company. And then at the end, C.J. Stroud throws a long bomb. He scores a touchdown in the last few seconds. And then they say, oh, you know, that was just luck. Our team really shouldn't have been even out on the field with a team of your caliber. That's kind of the perfect world. Where were Biden, President Biden and former President Trump would sit down together and talk politics and have an enjoyable conversation. I mean, we had ordered popcorn for that, right? <laughs> What's a perfect world? What would that look like to us? How would that play out in, in everyday life? Think about it. No pain. No suffering. We wouldn't die. You see, the crazy thing about it is that world existed. That's the world that God created for us. But we messed that up. The world, there was a time when the world was perfect. And so the question is, what happened? You see, then the world was full of light. Now it's full of darkness so what happened? Well, it went dark, so we need light. The darkened world is why we need the light. That's why we can be so thankful that the light has come because the world is no longer perfect. It's in spiritual darkness and people have turned from God to do their own personal version of what they think is right and wrong, whatever they want. And this, of course, violates God's commands that, by the way, are all right. And then we do wrong. And then that's further complicated by the fact that God hates darkness, hates sin. And in his righteous wrath, he will judge and punish sin. And then you pile onto that. Hey, that's our issue. And so sin leads the world in a way where the world has starvation and war and betrayal, true injustice, children exploited. And this is what we see around the world. And by the way, it's not just out there in the world. It's also in our own lives that we experience darkness. It's not just broken out there. It's stuff we experience, selfishness, jealousy, greed, pride, lust, Strife with other people. 
Romans 3.10 says, as it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. Romans 3.18, later in that same chapter, there is no fear of God before their eyes. A few verses later, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And because God is perfectly righteous and just, his righteous wrath is on all of us in this darkened world. So, but if that's not the way the world was created to be, then the question is, well, what happened? How did the world become dark? Well, the origin of sin and darkness is actually recorded for us in Scripture in Genesis 3 because that happened right after creation. God created the world and everything in it. And I know that's a controversial statement today, but, but think about it. Science tells us we know that the universe is expanding. So if you just back that up, you can see that there's a beginning, a point in time where the universe began. And God created the universe. And of course, you know, without even, and we do this a lot, so I don't want to get into this now because my temptation is going about this all day. But then there's life. There's no explanation in our world for life. No scientific explanation for that. We can't create a seed that we can bury in a ground that would bloom and, and sprout and grow. But they would just say, well, it's an accident. No, God created, God designed, God gave life. God created Adam and Eve. He put them in a perfect world, a perfect garden where they had everything they needed including one tree in the middle of the garden that was forbidden for them to eat. And that one tree for them, out of all the trees in the garden, gave them one more thing they needed, and that is a way to show God that they voluntarily wanted to follow him by obeying his command, do not eat of this one tree. Then we know Satan in the form of a serpent only spoke twice to Eve, but it was enough to, to have her cause, uh, question God's goodness and things kind of went bad. I mean, why the one tree? Well, God offers us a moral choice, a voluntary relationship why would God do that? Well, because a voluntary relationship is the best kind of relationship. And that's what God wanted for us. And so it came down to, will they choose to follow God and trust God with what God said about good and evil, or will they rebel against God and try to define good and evil for themselves? Of course, we know the story when he comes and, and Eve is deceived and Adam follows her in that sin. And again, pe people want to know, well, why couldn't God create a world where there would be no choice to sin? There would be no choice but to follow God. 
And it's because real love is voluntary. Real love voluntarily follows. And real love for God shows up in obedience, shown through obedience. The greatest moral teacher, Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Because God wanted us to experience real love between us and him. And real love cannot be forced. There has to be a choice. And that's what he provided for us. And we can see how, listen to it, how it plays out in the garden in Genesis 3, beginning in verse 1. It goes like this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. And the serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate and she gave also to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. You see, sin is a desire, kind of a desire for wisdom. It's a desire to call the shots for themselves. And it basically results in this. I'll call the shots on what's right or wrong for me. And it doesn't matter how that affects you. Is kind of the way it goes. I do what I think is good for me or my tribe, and, even, and I do that even if it's at the expense of you and your tribe. And we see that our ability to see right is darkened right there at the beginning. And so what's the result of this first sin? Well, our relationship with God was broken. They hid from God. Continues in verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, well, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid myself. You see what's happening there? Their closeness with God has changed. It's been impacted. And they brought guilt and shame into their life. God didn't do that. That was before God showed up in the story, you know. They brought guilt and shame into their own lives. And then later, by the way, we know that God had to expel them from the garden because in the garden they would have lived forever. And God did not want them to live forever in their sin. It's actually a good thing. And so not only was our relationship with God darkened and broken, 
but our relationship with each other was broken. You see, now there's going to be some questions, and Adam starts, he'll start, and he starts playing the, the blame game. You know what I'm talking about, anybody? The blame, oh, it's not, not my fault, right? Nobody's ever done that here, right? It goes like this in verse 11. And he said, this is God speaking, and he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, and here it comes, not my fault. The man said, the woman. And, and as he's saying these, now that I think about it, the woman, you, I didn't pick the woman. You picked the woman. The woman you gave me, whom you gave to be with me, she gave me from the tree and I, I'm the victim. Not my fault. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what's this that you've done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. You see, sin affects relationships between people. And what we're going to find out is now those relationships and the most important relationship between people, which is marriage, is going to be affected adversely as well. Verse 16 says, to the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you will bring forth children, yet your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. You see, sin not only brought pain in childbirth, but also it created a struggle within marriage between husband and wife. The wife will tend to want to control her husband and the husband will tend to want to dominate his wife. And that has then played out for the last 4,000 years. Or 6,000 years. Not only was the relationship with God, their relationship with God broken, their relationship with each other broken, but the world was broken. Verse 17, then to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, say you shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you and you will eat the plants of the field. God's saying, hey, the ground is curse. Nature is now spoiled. There's decay, destruction, chaos. It now takes work to produce food. And people will blame God for droughts and natural disasters and all these things, but actually it comes back to us, sin in the world, suffering we caused. Humans infected the world with sin. Not only our relationship with God, our relationship with each other, you know, it's also our bodies were broken. Work and death entered the world. Genesis 3:19 says, "By the sweat of your face you will eat bread." Until you return to the ground. 
Because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And so right here we see that even our bodies were affected. Our, our physical life was affected. And so now we suffer from sickness and pain and disease. And eventually we die. And our bodies break down. How many of you have noticed that? Your bodies are breaking down. I, I guess you have to reach a certain age to notice that. Like 20. You know, so you start noticing our bodies are breaking down. Here's what happened to me recently, actually Thursday. For the last four weeks, I haven't been able to hear very well in one of my ears. The sound was distorted, and so that's kind of weird. I was trying to figure it out. And, you know, it's kind of affecting me. I wasn't catching everything, and it was really irritating because certain notes would buzz in my right ear. And so I decided to go. First, I called an ear doctor. It's like February, so, you know, I went to the urgent care on Thursday. And so I went in there and I said, you know, I saw the doctor, I think, and said, hey, you know, I just need you to get one of those things and look in my ears because something's up that I've never experienced before, you know. And so she looked in, in my one ear and she goes, yeah, that's, that's all clear. looks good. She looks in my other ear. She goes, it's clear, but you have fluid in the, tu in the tube behind your eardrum. And I said, oh, well, how do I get rid of that? And she said, hang on, I'll be right back. Then she came back into the room and she brought a couple of these. Do you know what these are? Balloons, yeah. And I'm like, okay. At this point, I have no idea what she's gonna say next. And she goes, what I want you to do is take a balloon and blow it up with your right nostril. I said, with my right nostril? She goes, yes. And then she grabbed a balloon and blew it up with her right, with one of her nostrils. I wasn't paying attention, but she blew up a balloon with her nostril. Then she folded it to an animal and handed, no, she didn't do that. She blew the balloon up in front of me like this. And I said, okay, I'm not sure I can do that, but I'll try. She goes, well, don't try here. Wait till, you get, wait till you get home, because if you do this, and if this all breaks, you're going to get dizzy. So I'm going to demonstrate this for you, because here's what I'm doing at home. And by the way, if you see me start hopping on one leg and crashing over there, it's the, that means something actually happened. All right, so I get there, I get home, I get some balloons, and I do this. Are you ready? You want to see it? You're a curious bunch, so I figured you would. But anyway, because it's hard to imagine, because I didn't think it really could be done, but it can be done. Here we go. Again, if this clears and I black out or something, because it hasn't cleared yet, but it goes like this. So anyway, <laughs> thank you, thank you. That was the smallest one I've ever done, so just for you know. So I'm doing this, and by the way, this balloon was white, but there's a, I'm blowing so hard, there's a pink mist from my nasal cavity and my lungs filling up this balloon. But, you know, so I'm doing this, and it's not really doing anything. So she goes, by the way, she tells me, now, nobody knows about this. This is a, a, um, a cure that they've 
developed in Europe and it really hasn't hit the United States yet. And I'm like, okay. So she does this. I go, I try, it doesn't work. So then I look it up on the computer. And as I'm on the computer, I, I find this from Europe. And then they're saying, if that doesn't work, because the doctor didn't tell me this part, is you can blow up the balloon with your nostril real big. And then while you let it deflate through your right nostril, pinching off the other nostril and with your mouth closed, then drink, have some water in your mouth, drink some water, blow it up, pinch off, pinch off your nose, and then swallow the water as it, the balloon deflates into your nostril. And of course I had to be taken to the ER because I was almost drowned at that point <laughs> when I tried to do that. But no, you can actually do that. But anyway, that hasn't worked either. She also gave me some medicine. So now that all that didn't work, hey, I'm on the medicine because I think this is still gonna work. If I work it out, let you know next week if any of that changes. But what's going on? Hey, our bodies are messed up. So we're doing all these things we can to what? Patch them up. Get them to keep working right, right? Don't act like I'm the only one here. <laughs> you guys are doing all kinds of stuff to, to get your body back in shape, to make it work better, taking medicine, whatever. Therapy, physical therapy, whatever it is. To make it right, why? Because our bodies are broken too. The world's broken. Our relationships with each other's broken. Our, most importantly, our relationship with God, it's broken. So what's wrong with the world? You and me. That's what's wrong with the world. Is people just like us. We are what's wrong with the world. So what can be done? Well, because we've all sinned, just like Adam and Eve... All of us have made the choice to rebel against God by not doing what God told us to do in every instance. And sometimes we take matters into our own hand and we determine for ourselves what we think is better for us. And a lot of times that's without a lot of regard for how it impacts other people. And it does impact other people, our decisions. It destroys families. It does a whole bunch of stuff. And it's not just that, but God is righteous and holy. He's told us not to do it. And when we sin because of his righteousness and holiness and justice, he's saying he has wrath against sin, which is a problem for us because we have all sinned against God. So we all sit, we all stand under God's wrath, under his judgment. And because of that, we can't do anything about it. We're living in darkness. We've lost the ability to accurately see right and wrong all the time, especially when it applies to ourselves. And so we need outside help. Our relationship with God that's broken can only be unbroken by God himself. And of course, that's what Christmas is all about. That God, the Son of God, came to this earth, born as a baby, 
not, not to remain a baby, but to grow up into a man without committing a single sin. And because he lived in a physical body just like we do, just like Adam, and did not sin, he is uniquely qualified to die for someone else's sin. And because Jesus is also infinite God, he can die for all of our sins, for all of us, but there's a condition. We have to admit our need. We have to respond to him in faith. We have to admit that the way we do things is wrong. We're selfish. We look out for ourselves. We're prideful. We're jealous. We've got all these issues going on. We have to admit all that and turn to him. You see, that's completely different than other religions. All other religions in the world is to be made right or to be made whole or to go to a better place after you die is all about a system of things that you do to make you better to the point that finally you're acceptable to God. You climb the ladder high enough and you're okay. The tragic part of all these religions is typically most of those religions, you never know how far on the ladder you are, you never know where the line is, so you're always left wondering. Christianity is completely different. Christianity is there's nothing we can do to earn God's favor, to work our way up, to be a better person, to earn our own forgiveness, to atone for our own sins, to pay for them. We cannot. So God in his love for us came down to us, to our level, and died to pay for our sins. Because of love, God took action. Actually, verse 21 says, The Lord made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Here's, here's the first death. In the Bible, it, apparently an animal was slain, blood was shed to provide a covering for Adam and Eve. And they had the leaves, but God does this. And I think here God is teaching us something. And it's the same something that gets picked up in the Old Testament law. The law on how to follow God included the sacrificial system where Jewish people would kill innocent, perfect lambs to sort of stay the wrath of God for one more year or some period of time, a temporary fix. And that was teaching us something, that our sin, hey, it's not just something to kind of laugh and giggle about, it's It's serious. And it brings serious, real consequences in a real world and real universe that God has created. And we can not think about it if we want. But that doesn't change the truth. 
Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I read that earlier. But the next verse, Paul says, speaking of Christians, he says, Being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. What he's saying is there is we can be justified, we can be fixed, we can have our sins separated from us through what Christ has done. And so Jesus left heaven to accomplish this for us. Romans 5, 8, 9 says, But God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him, through Christ. And so as we get this series started and we celebrate the coming of the Messiah, the God-man, Jesus Christ. The most important message that you need to hear through all of this is that God came from heaven to live a life in a physical body just like ours and yet do that without sin. He was tempted in every way that we're tempted, Scripture says, and yet without sin. And then this same God in flesh allowed himself to be crucified, tortured to death by his own creation in order to pay our penalty for sin. But we have to respond. We have to turn to him in repentance. We do that by admitting our guilt, understanding the gift that Christ is offering us, he loves and still wants this voluntary relationship. That Some people would say, well, why doesn't Christ dying just count for everybody? I mean, he had to die anyway, so then it's just a, a free gift and everybody gets it. doesn't matter how you respond because then you don't have love. You don't have a voluntary relationship. People could be mad at God, hating God, turning away from God, doing unspeakable things against God, and then what? Be in relationship with God? That's not what they want. It all makes sense. We have to submit our hearts to him. And so, more important than anything that happens today or this week or, or in your lifetime, I guess, is making sure that you've made this commitment to follow. Jesus died for me, and yeah, I'm trusting in that. But by the way, God, I'll be living my life however I want. Because Scripture's telling us that when we have that attitude, we're not really understanding what salvation is all about. Does that make sense? Because we're willfully not wanting to be around God. It's not loving God. If we're not even trying. So it's admit our guilt 
Let's put our trust in Jesus, believe. And then it's commit to want to follow him. So I'm going to lead in a prayer. We're going to wrap things up. And uh, as I do that, if you already know, hey, I've understood this perfectly. I'm a sinner. I'm only saved by God's grace. And I could see that my life has changed as I've tried to follow God. Not perfectly. I I got issues. But my desire is to follow him. And I'm broken when I don't. If that's you, you've got this. If that's not you, here's an opportunity to put your trust, your faith, your belief in Christ alone for your salvation, knowing that we're not, we're not helping in any way by how we live our life to earn salvation. Can't be done. Let's bow our heads together. You can make this prayer your prayer if you're unsure where you're at. And if you just don't know, well, let's just nail this down now. It's too important to have questions about. If you believe this is all true, nail it down. If you have doubts, get your doubts answered. But as simple as a prayer like this, you can pray silently. God knows your every heart, your every word knows everything in your mind. God will hear you. Something like this in your own words to God. Father God, I understand that I have sinned against you. I'm guilty. Lord, and I deserve your wrath on my sin, your righteous wrath. Because a righteous God should have righteous wrath towards sin. Unfortunately, that includes me. But God, I'm thankful for the gift that you're offering. And right now I'm, I'm placing my trust, my faith, my belief in Christ and Christ alone. That, that Jesus died for me and that's the only hope I have. That's the only thing that will work. The greatest gift. And I thank you for that. And God, I'm asking you to come into my life through your spirit. Lord, and help me to follow you. Help me to love you with obedience rather than follow my own broken road. Lord, help me do that. Thank you for saving me. In Christ's name, I pray, Lord. Amen.